This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. another episode of the PNP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take it to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, I'm Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, as well as the CEO of Comarch. I am full of turkey. This is our first episode since Thanksgiving. Um, others might say I'm full of something else. I would imagine that the guy I'm looking at right now, Mr. Dan Gordon, may beg to differ. But Dan, would you like to introduce yourself, our topic, and our guest? Absolutely. So uh, I would not say you're full of turkey. I would just say that you are a turkey. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, we have a, a fantastic guest back for another episode, and that's uh, Vern Harnish. Uh, so just a little intro on on Vern. He, he was on a podcast a while back, but uh, he's a best-selling author of Mastering Rockefeller Habits and Scaling Up. Rockefeller Habits 2.0. He's founder of the world-renowned Entrepreneurs Association or organization with over 16,000 members worldwide. He's the founder and CEO of Scaling Up, a global a global executive education and coaching company with over 200 partners on six continents and has spent the, spent the past four decades helping companies scale up. Vern joined us earlier this year about fundamentals on episode 64. Um, decisions every business must get uh, right. And this time we're having them back to talk about uh, strategic planning made simple. I know that uh, we kind of ran out of time the last time and that got really interesting. So uh, without further ado, uh, Vern, welcome. Hey, it's get good to be on. By the way, I want to give you guys a news update. I assume you're familiar with the rapper 50 Cent at all. Yes. Anyway, yes. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I'm the demographic for that. Yeah, he changed his name to 85 cent to adjust for inflation. <laughs> and well, there is it. There it is, right there. You, every, your money, yeah, yeah. your listeners podcast for for Mike Drop. There you go. That we didn't do it before. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking he's rather aggressive. He's rather aggressive. The CPI was only eight and a half percent, so that would make him 54 and a half cent. So, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you guys know, I mean, that is the thing everybody's wrestling with, you know, in the, in the lawn care and other areas. And everyone's facing workforces here at the end of the year. They're going to be coming to them and asking for raises. And so there is a lot of pressure, cost pressure on every business coming on in right now. And look, I think all of us think inflation is much higher than what they've been saying it is for sure. I, you know, we, we've actually done, um, just, just so you know, we, we've done an analysis on our industry and our numbers come in more around 16%, not 8% for our industry specific. But for, by the way, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Grateful that you took some time to spend with Dan and I, uh, you know, we were talking about how great it would have, to, you know, when we, we kind of ran out of time on the last time we had in the podcast. And like Dan said, you know, we started getting into strategy and, uh, and we had to finish it out. But you know, a lot of our right now, a lot of our um, listeners are they're they're kind of rethinking next year. They're rethinking what the next five years looks like. You know, normally during the summer and during the season, everyone's kind of all hands on deck and they're just trying to get the work done and execute the plan. Now, you know, most people are in a, in a, in a position or, you know, their business cycle where they're trying to like, OK, we got to go back to strategy and what are we going to change and what are we going to do? And so 
I am a fan of your books. I'm a fan of EO. I think, uh, you know, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits as well as Scaling Up are fantastic resources for a lot of owners and quite frankly, a lot of management teams. And so, yeah, I thought it would be great if you could come on and we could kind of, because you have this one thing called the one page strategic plan. And I am all about simplicity. And it's one of the reasons I like your books a lot because it gets to the core of what I feel like is essential. And so, so I want to say, first of all, welcome, and then kind of roll right into this idea of, you know, where did you come up with this idea for one page strategic plan? And then, you know, what can our listeners gain from going through this process that you've outlined? Good. Well, Donnie, thank you. And Dan for um, mentioning the books, uh, by the way, just updated Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. This is its 20th anniversary. So I put out a 20th anniversary edition uh, that is significantly updated. And by the way, I think it is the best first book for people to, to read. It's much simpler. Uh, and I think more applicable to smaller companies than scaling up uh, mm -hmm. Rockefeller Habits 2.0, which, by the way, I also significantly updated it this year as well. So we've got all new stories, all new information in there and updated even with all of what's happening with the inflation. But, you know, I, it's the reason for the one page strategic plan is everybody's always going around saying, what do we got to do to get everybody on the same page? You know, if I could just get everybody rowing together and there's those you know beautiful images where you've got a bunch of rowers in a boat and if everybody's not rowing at the same time and in the same direction you're just wasting a lot of money and a lot of time and right now i don't think anybody wants to waste money and time we've got to get everybody on the same page so that means you need to have the page for everybody to get on and our view is if you can't state it that simply you can't keep it to a page it's gonna be really difficult to execute. We also know that it is hard to be simple. And that's what I think you've gotta do is as you face these kind of crazy chaotic times, and I think we're in for it for the rest of the decade, ever more so you've gotta go back to the fundamentals like the great Vince Lombardi. You know, Vince would come off as a coach, five winning seasons, you know, returning seniors, but he would always start the season holding up a football saying, look, gentlemen, this is a football. And so this, this power of going back to the fundamentals, being able to put together a simply stated plan that you can communicate to everybody in the organization, your, your teams that you've got, your crews, so everybody is rowing in the same direction. And so that's why we put it on a page. Plus entrepreneurs, we don't have time to read anything that's more than page. Uh, no, read it. We don't have the patience to fill out anything more than a page. I can't stand to fill out any forms, but I can I can I can suffer through a page. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. We're gonna I'm gonna link this on if you go to pmpindustryinsider.com, we have a show notes page. I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard us heard us talk about it before, but for this episode, I'm gonna link this. You know, one of the best concepts, you know, that, that you have, and I, I really would like, is obviously, you know, we're talking about the one, getting that plan down to one page. If it's okay, we're going to link a PDF um, and we can just put it to your site or however you'd like to see it. But I want our listeners to be able to see what this looks like. And I thought it'd be great if we could just kind of, if you could just walk us through this strategic plan, because I think it has a lot of good key elements that you have to think about that oftentimes kind of when you're in the ditches, right? You're in the trends and you're trying to like get, you know, work, work in your business. It's easy to let these types of things kind of go to the wayside, even though they're important. And so I thought it'd be a good exercise for, for you to kind of talk through 
kind of these six keys and, and kind of what it covers. Um, so why don't we start with that? Well, and Donnie, before we do, um, you know, I, I think there was a big piece of research that came out uh, from Harvard that showed that a lot of entrepreneurs don't do any planning. And they wanted to understand <laughs> why. Yeah, I know, shocker. And, and it's, it's because they're eternal optimists. And they actually believe that they can wing it and that things are just going to turn out okay. And because they have been doing it that way and because it has been going okay, they don't think they need to do it. And so they've never tried it. And, you know, once you've, you know, you can't, you can't quit something you never tried. Mm -hmm. um, but what we find is, first, it's not the plan. It's the process of thinking through it. Uh, the planning and somehow or another putting it in writing makes the universe respond. I just got to tell a quick story because of a question that you had asked me up front, Donnie. But yesterday, my girlfriend literally uh, texted me, hey, I really would love to go to the Art Basel event in Miami next year. We can't this year because we're going to be gone next week. But she said, I'd really like to go. And and she put it out there. You can't make this up. Within hours, a buddy of mine, PJ Rourke out of Chicago, sends me an email and he says, hey, we're putting together this kind of VIP exclusive experience at Art Basel uh, next December in Miami. And I immediately text her back and said, look, you know that this is why putting out what it is that you want to achieve works. And we don't know why, but the evidence is clear. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, or at least you're not going to achieve what you could have achieved. And that's what I think the entrepreneurs have to realize. Uh, by the way, we were talking about Barrett Ersic, who had built Happy Lawns and sold it. Now he's running Organics, uh, serving a lot of your industry. And yesterday mm -hmm. I got Barrett's vision summary, his one page plan for the company for 2023 and beyond. Um, and I know he's doing well and did well before because he's always been a practitioner of these tools. So I just wanted to kind of set the stage for how important it is to take some time and really think through it, both personally, we have a one page personal plan for your family, for your you know relationships, and we have the one page strategic plan for the company. Cool, well, let's get into it. Yeah, I'm looking at this, uh... Uh, one-page strategic plan, and uh, it's really outstanding the way the way that it's organized. It's um, uh, it makes use of the fact that it's going to be one page if it is two-sided. Um, and if you haven't been to our website to download any of uh, the uh, show notes or uh, any of the the tools that we put up there, this one's definitely worth uh, taking a look at. Um, it's the uh, one-page strategic plan OPSP, and uh, we'll put it up on the. Uh, on the website. And Dan, what I might also mention, and that was an update I put in Mastering the Rockefeller Habits and, and it's in scaling up, is we shorten it even more to a single page we call a vision summary. So the one page strategic plan is a good worksheet to really think through a lot of these decisions. And then you can summarize it on an even simpler one page that's easier to communicate with your team. Nice. Okay. So, and I'll send you an yeah. example. Great. So let's, so let's uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's move on. 
So the six keys, um, verifying your executive team is healthy and aligned. Uh, why is this important? How exactly do you do this? Well, you know, there's a reason I mentioned 40 other books in my book. I, you know, Dan and Donnie, I hardly have all the answers. So here I want to turn to our good friend, Pat Lanchoni, who wrote the book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he was the one who really said, look, you can have a wicked smart team. And we know a lot of smart teams that have failed, you know, uh, dramatically. Uh, what you really have to do is be healthy. What does that mean? It means that you are able to challenge each other, that you've got thick enough skins that you can bring up the brutal facts and face those brutal facts without anybody, you know, getting upset. Uh, yet if the team isn't healthy, if there is fear that we can't tell the king or queen they've got no clothes on, then people start kind of sweeping issues under the carpet. And that's when we get in trouble. And so what it means to be healthy is that we can fight without killing each other in the process. And it's the healthy conversations and debates. If everybody agrees, then you've got a lot of redundancy on the team. You need folks bringing different perspectives to how are we going to handle comp? How are we going to recruit and maintain teams? What, you know, what customers should we go after in 2023, given what's going on in the economy? And those need to be some healthy debates. You know, one of the things as you were talking that I have seen, I have personally experienced, and I think it's important for people to pay attention to is, you know, I have this expectation. I know I have to grow as a leader as the business grows. Like I, my goal is to be, you know, 10 years ahead of the business, sometimes even further if I can get that far ahead. What I have seen in the past is the company's growing extremely fast. And there may be one or two people in your leadership team that is either not growing as fast or it's they've been outgrown. And that is such a difficult thing, right? And so this idea of stopping, taking a healthy stock of the landscape, <laughs> looking at the reality, because I mean, my thing, you know, the, the term healthy means, hey, are we all growing? Yes or no? And if you've got someone on the team that's that everyone else dragging, it's really difficult, especially if they've been with you for a while. Dan, yeah, I think about the it. most the most difficult part of that is if you like that person, but they're just not, mm -hmm. you know, they're they're just not advancing with the rest of the business. But uh, how do you verify? How do you do? Do you have a meeting? Do you what? what t tell me about uh, verifying your executive team is healthy and aligned. Um, is there a a checklist? What 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 do you do to do that? Um, well, first of all, Pat Lanchoni has some really good assessments, and I would encourage people to grab uh, five dysfunctions of a team, go through his quick assessment, um, and everybody kind of rating each other individually. There's a reason why we vote, you know, uh, anonymously, so people are willing to tell more of the truth. And that's when the data can begin to come out. Uh, and that's a lot more objective than kind of hee-hawing around and sitting around and, you know, you know, dancing around the topic. So that's why assessments are important. Same reason we get a health assessment. And I would say for, for our listeners, I agree with Vern, go grab a copy of that book. You know, and, you know, when you look at it, hey, how do I verify this? Start running some of those checklists. Again, the 
the the one page is going to help you kind of get this process started. But but much like Vern said, there's a lot of there's a lot of detail. Not to get too bogged down, but it's the yeah, it's how, a great book. You actually do that. Yeah, terrific yeah. book. Yeah. By the way, one oh, of the please. other tools that we use in EO and YPO, and Pat Lynchoni actually uses it with executive teams, and it's a very simple exercise that we encourage uh, teams to go through, and it's called the lifeline exercise. And you take a piece of paper out and you draw a line down the middle and you put your age from zero to, well, I just turned 50 13 years ago, so zero to, to 63. And then what you do is you plot the five highest points on that timeline in your life and what were five of the lowest points of your life. And by the way, you can't count marriage or the birth of your children for either high or low. That's that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you share that with each other. And it's a crazy way that, you know, eight A type CEOs in an EO or YPO form are immediately able to deepen their connection with each other and begin to realize just how human we all are. Uh, and so I'd encourage that. The second one is I think it's the most important five minutes of 168 hour week. And that is, I hope the teams that are listening here at least have a weekly huddle, you know, where they meet once a week just to kind of plan out the week, set the sprint, understand, you know, where we got crews, where we might have issues, where we've got opportunities. And you always want to start that meeting with five minutes of a round of good news, both personally and professionally. The personal good news, kind of like you guys busting on each other about Turkey and all of that really keeps it human. Uh, and I'm amazed at how many leaders uh, work together, but they're not aware of what's going on with their children or with their spouse. And understanding those things really puts everything else in perspective. Uh, and so that personal good news keeps us connected. The professional good news causes good news to beget good news. You can't rest on your laurels of two weeks ago, and it's a way of kind of counting our blessing. It's, it's a gratitude exercise, if you would, that's built right into our routine. So everything you've read about gratitude, about staying connected at a deeper level, all gets accomplished through this very simple five minutes, which is part of our process. I think it's a fantastic, we, we do that at Triangle, and, and, I, and I agree with you. It is a fantastic time to get to know and really gel together as a team. So, so step one is, okay, is the executive team healthy? Are they aligned? Let's move on to key two, which is, you know, using your BHAG to provide direction and focus. Now, when I first used the term years ago, BHAG, I called it big, hairy, asshole. The name of it actually big, hairy, audacious, audacious, audacious goal. So, so we'll use proper vernacular. And I just, you know, I think the question for you, Vern, is, okay, so why is it important to use these to provide direction and focus? And then the second part is kind of the same piece, which is how do you do it? Yeah. Well, first, let's give a shout out to Jim Collins and Jerry Porras. Uh, 100%. They're the ones that coined the term, and we give them appropriate credit. And the very simple idea is to keep your eye on the prize. You know, we weigh overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and we way underestimate what we can accomplish in 10 years and even if some of the folks listening to this think hey i'm going to exit in the next you know 36 months 
why do I need a 10 to 25 year goal? Remember, the way you sell a company is by, by selling its, its future. You got to convince whoever's going to buy it that this market that we've built, the customer base that we've got, uh, with your resources, you guys could even take bigger and further than we can. So the job of the entrepreneur is to always sell vision. And what it does, it allows you, like you're sailing, you know, the sailors as they were coming across the ocean would tune into the North Star so they wouldn't get lost. And by the way, the path, there is no straight line in nature or in business. It is a winding road, but you want to make sure that you end up where you'd plan to end up. And so the BHAG is really your North Star or Southern Cross, if it were the Southern Hemisphere, that you can keep coming back to. And you know what's amazing? Almost everyone who has said a BHAG has beat it by a year or two. And their only regret is, why didn't I aim even higher? And so, look, we could get into the psychology of why this works and all of that. But look, you guys don't care. We just know it works. And so set that big, hairy, audacious goal. And I was going to say, if, if you're not familiar with BHAGs, which I think a lot of folks are, but if you're not, if it's kind of a new concept for you, go and actually get Tim Collins' book, um, Good to Great or Built to Last. I can't remember which one. I think he talks about it in both of those books. But, you know, one of the things that he said that I still remember to this day is that if it doesn't scare you a little bit, probably not a BHAG. If it, if it doesn't, like, if, you, if you're not scared or, you know, concerned that you may not hit it, it's probably not high enough. And I agree with you. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, hey, you got to, a lot of times, I've done this in sports, I've done it in business. You know, you, you set a goal and you realize after you achieve it, like, man, there was more there. I didn't know it. So one one question for you now, how do you how do you do this? Like, you know, this approach to BHAG, how do you, you know, and, and I realize people are pretty familiar with setting goals, but how would someone say, okay, I want to set a big, hairy, audacious goal. What would be their approach to do that? Yeah, well, hey, a couple of things. Uh, your listeners can go to jimcollins.com and Jim has a whole bunch of tutorials up there including one that will kind of walk you through how to set your big, hairy, audacious goal. And it costs no money. These, these things are free. So Jim is, has been very generous with his, his uh, ideas. And, and I want you to think about every sports team has a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's to win the Super Bowl or to win the World Cup or to win the World Series. And by the way, you know, L.A. Rams won it last year. It had been 21 years. Uh, since they'd won it before, it normally takes a decade or two. You know, go Philly, you know Philadelphia Eagles. You know, one of my one of my teams. I think they've got a shot shot at it. So <laughs> this, you know, the real world of sport understands that there is this end prize. Now, how do you actually set it? First, um, I want you to be bold and ambitious, as you said. It is so much easier to 10x actually than it is to 2x. You know, to 2x, you got to try to do just a little bit better than what we're already doing. But to say, what would it take for us to 10x? And that doesn't mean necessarily revenue. It could be profitability. It could be impact. Look, I'd like to improve by 10x the amount of time I have to go fishing and do the things I want to do. You know, our tools have helped guys work, go from 80 hour work weeks to literally eight hours, what it took to kind of run the business so they could go out and look at other opportunities 
So I don't know what 10x means for you, but that is a starting point. What does 10x or even 30x look like in relationship to our business? So that's number one. Number two, we have what's called the 770 rule. And so I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Naomi Simpson with Red Balloon, she first came to my workshop in 2005 and she sold about 7,500 experiences. And she said, wait a second, there's 20 million Australians. What if I could get to 10% of them? That would be about 2 million. And generally speaking, we incur, and that's the BHAG that she said, generally speaking, you know, you've really nailed a market if you own 10%, uh, which means the 70% comes from 70% of a niche. So one of our long care clients, you know, is simply focused on large corporate clients, those that are delivering, you know, um, 100,000 or more, you know, in kind of revenue. And he knows how many there are in his city. He's not delusional, think he's going to get all of them. But they represent about 10% of the total lawn care opportunity. And he wants to own 70% of that. And so those are ways that in our planning, we've been able to back into certain numbers. And then he realized, hey, if he's going to get to his BHAG, he really needs to be in four cities in order to be able to accomplish that. And that's how you can begin then to reverse engineer how you're going to actually expand the business over the next decade. So, Vern, as as an accountant and a conservative guy, uh, we can put a, a a a plan together, and every plan costs money for marketing, et cetera, ramping up and whatnot. How do you create this plan with a parachute that maybe? you know, it's not going to happen this year, it'll happen next year, but you had planned for it to happen this year. Like, what are the parachutes? What are the stop gaps to, so that you don't hurt yourself or kill yourself in the process of achieving this goal? Um, you know, that's why, Dan, first of all, it's an outstanding question. And that's why you've got the weekly meeting and you set what they call a sprint, you know, in Silicon Valley, you know, what, what can we get accomplished this week or the next two weeks? And then what you want to do is you want to readjust. Uh, we just hosted the, the fighter pilots, uh, uh, Martha McSally. She was the first female to lead a combat mission into combat as a fighter pilot. And they have what's called the 61 rule, which means if you're off just one degree in your path, in 60 seconds, you'll miss the target by a mile. And so that's why it's important that you're constantly doing course corrections and reevaluating your assumptions that led to where you thought you were going to be. If all of a sudden, you know, something like COVID hits or there's a change in technology in your industry or you lose a major company or you're about to lose a major client because they're going to relocate or what for a number of reasons, the all wars and all markets are one through intel and whoever has the best first-hand intel and then talks about it every week and course corrects is who's able to stay on course actually so it's a combination of a BHAG and then how's it looking this week everything else in between I think is a wild ankle guess or wild ass well, guess right yeah and, and I would say to 
this is where Dan and I differ, right? So Dan and I were, were good friends most of the time. And I like Dan most of the time. But I will say, <laughs> for me, I'm like, I don't like plan Bs. I don't like exits. I, I mean, it's like I'm going all in. And like, there's no. So, so that surprises me as a, as a pilot. You have to have plan B. I didn't, what if I, I didn't say when I was the engines flying. fail. I did, not, right? no, 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 no. I did not say when I was flying. Right? You've got to have plan B. you got to yes. have a parachute. So. And, and here's the thing. I think you would, you know, you would start with, okay, we're not going to go below this number of profitability, right? We're not going to run out of cash. I get that. But at the end of the day, it's like full commitment, right? No weed outs, no, like, like this, this we're, we're going, this is happening and we're all in. And I think that's the, anyway, and I know that it's a little bit different than what you're saying, but, but I don't get too far on it. Now, your next point, I love. Well, but Don, Donnie, I want to re reinforce that, you know, Jack Stack, who's a good friend of ours, great game of business. You know, Jack, when he sets up bonus plans, they only pays out 10% the first quarter, 20% the second, 30% 30, third, third quarter, and 40 the fourth quarter. And if you miss the first quarter, it rolls over. And his view is, hey, you can win a game with four steady quarters or Hail Mary pass, you know, with two minutes left. And we saw mm -hmm. the craziness in the NFL this last weekend of how many losses occurred and records were set in the last two minutes. And so it's the genius of the end, as Jim Collins would say, yes, keep your eye on the prize and don't give up until the very last second, but you right. still better have a parachute uh, for yeah. sure. And, and let me just be clear with our listeners here, because I have, I have a uh, reputation for things getting misinterpreted as to what I'm saying. So what I'm saying is you, you obviously never run out of cash as a business. I'm not saying you don't have any, you know, that you go completely with no, no discretion. What I'm saying is, is that once you commit to it, it's like, come hell high water. This is, you know, you, you break off all options and the only, the only option is, is winning. And so, you know, I, 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 and winning means that you don't run out of business. Right? <laughs> winning but, but, means that you don't me, run out of cash. But, right. Let me just make one point before we move on to the next one. Um, there's certain things you can't control. So marketing, for, for example, you are, you know, you're, you're the marketing guy, right? You know what your cost per lead, your closing percentage, so your cost per sale has to be. What if it doesn't come in that way? You saw what's happened with Google in the past year or so. Like some, in some cities, it's, it's doubled. You have no idea going into that until you're in it. So you definitely, you may not want to run out of cash. So, you know, but you've got to have a plan for, do I retreat? You know, what, what and I think doing? that's yeah, and I think that's just playing the game, right? If we were in a football game, and you know, I started out with a strategy in the second quarter, and it's like this is not working. I call an audible. At the end of the day, they're consumers and they're sellers, right? I mean, when you when you break it all, and so there's you, okay, what's our new strategy? Because at the end, you know, no matter what, if you have a product, you got a service, they're going to be consumers for that product and service, and so long as that structural market doesn't change. You can always change strategy, whether that be digital doors, print, name it. Who cares, right? So, I mean, I think for me that would be like an audible that just got called. Anyway, Vern, Dan, and I are heading off down the road. We're going to stop. So let's keep bring let's bring it back. And I like your third point here, which is making brand promises, and this is a key word, only to your core customers. Can you talk about why that's important and how you do that? Yeah. <clears throat> well, first, you want to be very clear that you're actually not after market share you're after profit share. 
and you want to go after the most profitable opportunities and you want to send all the bad customers to your competition. And, and that's why you've got to be clear who is your core customer. And after being in business for a while, you get a pretty good sense of, you know, who you like doing work with, who you're, what you're good at, uh, where you're getting good word of mouth so that your marketing becomes much easier. And then once you decide what, who is your core customer, then it's equivalent in all sports. There are white lines that you can't cross. And those are what we call the, the three brand promises. What does that group of core customers uniquely need you to do? So let me just give you an example outside your industry, but one that's as competitive, and that's the dental industry. Just because I was up at an industry association event this last weekend in New York, and one of the dental clients that we've got has said, look, table stakes is being able to clean your teeth and put in fillings. And we expect your, you know, the listeners here to be able to you know, do their job in a capable way. But the core customer that this one dental practice is going after they first and, more, first and foremost care about, am I being seen on time? You know, I don't want to wait out there in the waiting room because I'm busy. I want to get in and I want to get out. Was I seen on time? Number two, was the phone answered quickly? So if I want to set an appointment or talk to somebody, I don't want to be put on hold forever or wait for somebody to call me back. And then number three, I just don't want it to hurt. I don't care what it is that you do to me. I just don't want it to hurt. Uh, and they've really specialized in, in and that whole industry has, has done a lot better job at making sure that it's, it's a lot less painful, whatever the process is. And so those are their three brand promises. And by the way, when you finish your appointment, you're asked those three questions. Uh, how would you rate on? Were you seen on time? Did we answer the phone quickly? And give me a happy or sad face in terms of our pain management in the process. And that's what they built their reputation on. Another dental practice is an absolutely fun place for kids to go. And that is their core customer that they're focused on. And therefore, the things they've got to do to differentiate themselves from all the other dentists become their brand promises. And so that's why you've got to be clear with your own core customer. Yeah, and I think probably the, the big thing out of this, this one, you know, we talk about how to exactly do this. You nailed it, Vern. Like, number one is like, where is the money, right? Where can I make the most money? Where can I be unique? But the other one, and, that, and this one, it it's so easy to say. And I have I can't tell you how many times I've watched someone get in the pit and they they fold. And that is overcoming this fear that there's just not enough customers in the niche. You know, like you'll see someone, they're like, oh yeah, well you know, well who's your target customer? It's like, well, all the homeowners. It's like, no. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so I think probably just the only thing I would, my only perspective on this is that the more I've kind of faced that fear and realized like there's a ton of people who will make you money. There's not a you know a lack. The better you get, the more the more of these core customers you're going to pull out of the you're going to pull out of the trenches. And so I agree with you, right? It's it's not market share, it's profit share, and just being very very focused and dialed in on that. So. All right. well, and by the way, Donna, you guys too, and that's something I, I, I worked with Barrett on and he was really excellent at, was just the maximization of his routes. You know, it's no two customers are the same if one's going to pull you off the route and make you make a left turn, literally, 
versus one that's right in the neighborhood. So you can continue just to, to flow, go with the flow. And so just density of customers and all of that are part of the things that you want to look at and plan for so that you're directing your sales and marketing efforts so that, again, you're going to get the most profit from a neighborhood. You know, profit per neighborhood might be something you look at or profit per community. And if you're in the Wisconsin area, because we're looking at some franchises in another space, you know, there are three of the communities where all the profit is and the other five there aren't. And that's what you want to stay focused on. So let's let's move on to kind of key number four here. And this one I really like as well. It's called winning moves to accelerate your company's revenue growth. Now, let's talk about why revenue growth is important. And then, you know, what is the definition of a winning move and how to do it? Well, first, revenue growth can get you out of a lot of problems uh, unless you're growing broke. You know, if you already have a bad, you know, unprofitable business model, then you're just going to speed up the pain. But I'm assuming everyone's got their unit numbers worked out, their their profitability per you know customer. So revenue growth just gets you out of a lot of trouble. And that's why you got to keep it going. Um, the key then is to understand the winning move is where is the constraint to growing? And by the way, for a lot of the crews we've worked with, um, you know, it's talent. It's how do we recruit and retain the crews that we've got? And then you continue to peel the layers of the onion back and you figure out, all right, where is a good source of talent that we can recruit from, uh, for instance? Um, one of, one of the lawn care firms that we were working with found short order cooks uh, was a great source of uh, a pool of talent. And once you identify some key pools. Hang, hang on. Short, short order cooks? Yeah, because they're right. used to. I'm, 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 take, I'm taking notes right now. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what's nice about your industry is most Correct. people can go home at night, right? They can go see their families. Mm -hmm. um, if you're working in the hospitality industry, um, you are, you know, working in a hot kitchen uh, and you are having to work late hours in the evening and it is monotonous work indoors. And there's a lot of people that'd rather be outside, would rather work more, you know, eight to five and has no problem, you know, working hard and fast. So. A winning move is understanding what is the thing that's constraining my ability to grow and then finding a clever way to solve that. And once you do, um, then go for it. Now you've got something that's going to help help accelerate your growth. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's uh, we're getting close on time here, but I do want to cover these last two these last two keys. The first one is leading indicators to help you measure results, which I think a lot of our listeners are pretty good on, well, they know what they should be. I know that for a fact because we talk about it so much. And then the second one is, you know, tune in the rhythm through critical adjustments, which I think are, I think that's another way of seeing calling audibles as necessary as you're, as you're kind of working your plan. But let's talk about, you know, obviously the context of this entire, you know, all of these keys is what is strategic planning how do you get it down so that everyone's kind of, you know, paddling the same direction on the boat? Can you just, with these last two, you know, developing these indicators and then making sure that you make adjustments, can you just walk us through 
quickly, like why are these are important and why it helps you to, I guess, achieve your plan? Well, I'll do it through a couple of analogies. So the first one, Bonnie, I think of Moneyball. If you've read the book or seen the movie, mm -hmm. you know, that industry mm -hmm. measured so many things that they found out didn't matter. And when it finally came down to on-base percentage, which now when you go to baseball games, it's the key stat that they report out. Uh, I love that point in the movie where Billy Bean's sitting around with his scouts and they say, tell me about this guy. Well, he's got this problem and this problem, this problem. But Billy's like, yeah, but that guy can get on base. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's really understanding what is the key metric that's going to tell you whether you had a good week or not. And by the way, one of those is a dollar. Um, what was the labor cost per crew each week? And to the extent that you're, you know, that usually includes overtime and those kind of things. And clearly you want to be able to get all the work done with no overtime, but just having every one of your crew leaders report out every week in front of everybody, uh, how much was the, what was the cost of their labor this week? will get them to really focus on it. And we know that that is a key money ball stat. Uh, that, that can determine the profitability or not of a crew in any particular week. The second one has to do with, let's go back to football. I mean, unless you're going with a no huddle, which they don't do for very long, I mean, they're huddling <laughs> up before every play and right. adjusting what it is they just learned from the previous play. And that's the power of the daily huddle. And those clients of ours where the crew is huddling up daily just to kind of organize what the day is going to look like, the leadership teams that are huddling up daily. If you want to move faster, you need to pulse faster. And that rapid bit of eight minutes of communication, and communication is the number one issue we all have when we get you know more than two people. Anyone in a relationship understands that. Um, that's the thing that allows you to avoid the 61 problem where if we're off one degree, we're going to miss the target by a mile in the next 60 seconds. And so that's why it's a constant course correction based on the latest information we've got, weather information, who showed up, who didn't show up, you know, information we got from a client, you know, whatever the case is, uh, there's stuff happening every 24 hours. And if you're on top of that versus your competition, you're going to save money and time, which just goes right into your pocket. Well, Vern, this has been fantastic. Go ahead, Dan, if you've got one last question. We well, it's not a question. I would say that uh, when you come out of something and you, you, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's the big takeaway? Well, I have two of them. Send your bad customers to your competition. I love that. That was it. That was great. <laughs> and find that key metric to tell if you've had a, a good week. And I would say, as you were talking about, is uh, route utilization or route efficiency. And that will make or break you, right? Pricing, you know, might be good, but, um, you know, your, uh, your your route density makes um, that, that, that makes your profitability. So, um, when you're designing your dashboard uh, for your for your KPIs, those are a couple of the things that I you know like to see. So, 
and Dan, I might I might build on one thing. People are like, all right, so how do you send your bad customers to the competition? Continue to raise prices on them. And, but, I, <laughs> but I'm actually Back when I was doing appliance repair in high school with my dad, um, we had what we called a PETA charge. So at the end of the bill, we'd you know here was the parts, here was the labor, and at the end we would put PITA and we'd put some kind of a, a charge. And the customer would say, "What is PETA?" And we'd say, "Pain in the ass." You were a pain in the <laughs> ass, and that's what we're charging you for. And you know they would either laugh and get over it and become a better customer, or that was enough to piss them off and they'd go away. But uh, I'm not saying that was exactly kosher, but you just want to like raise the revenue types. on your yeah, on like your the revenue types. That's that's fantastic. I love that. I love it. So here you got it, folks. Exclusive, this podcast only, new revenue stream. In you know, insert your PETA charges starting tomorrow and instantly. <laughs> Best idea. Send your bet. Send your bad customers to your competition. I wrote that down. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> no, there, there's definitely, I mean, there's been, for those that have been listening, for your insight has just been fantastic. And we, we love having you on the podcast. And I always enjoy having you on, always learn something. I think for me, the one of the things that you said that I absolutely love, and I think, and I, I probably because I deal with this a lot, is, you know, leading indicators that actually, you know, or indicators that are actually work, right? Getting to the right KPIs, because I, I will tell you in marketing and with a lot of analytics, you know, I would say 80% of the stuff just doesn't matter, right? And so really dialing in on what really matters and cutting out the clutter and, you know, almost like the same thing as what you have with the, the one page strategic plan, getting your KPIs to maybe, you know, three or four and, and then just, you know, getting rid of the noise. So, Bert, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. This has been fantastic. Dan, any parting thoughts here before we close up? Oh, excellent. I really appreciate you coming on, and um, we'll have to do it again um, another time as well. Um, I think that uh, everybody really enjoys your insight, and uh, this has been terrific. All right. Take care. Happy holidays. Same to you. And just a reminder for all the folks that were listening, um, if you don't have a strategic plan, we're going to get up on pmpindustryinsider.com in our show notes. We'll put a summary of this podcast with Vern up as well. Um, we will also link up some of his books. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to, to read, I would highly recommend you do that. And, and I agree with Vern. I, one of the things I really like about his book is his recommendations for other books to read. So with that, we're signing off. We'll see you all next time. As always, remember to rate us and review us on however it is that you consume the podcast. And with that, we're signing off. We'll see you all next time. Thanks so much. Right now.